Any Stupid Questions, the podcast that asks stupid questions about big subjects. I'm Danielle Ward and with me today to talk about how Parliament works is Emily Ashton, Senior Political Correspondent at BuzzFeed and the current Chair of the Parliamentary Lobby. And joining me to ask the stupid questions are comedians Sophie Duker and John Finnamore. Hello. Hello, everybody. Here's the first question for you then, Emily. What is the lobby? I thought you might ask that. (laughs) Isn't lobbying a bad thing? (laughs) Parliamentary lobby is the term for the collection of political journalists that work in Parliament, Mm -hmm. basically. But there are two separate organisations. You've got the press gallery and you've got the lobby. And every year they elect different chairs. So I chair the lobby. Basically, I am the bridge between the political journalists and number 10. Wow. Um, So number 10 give briefings to political journalists twice a day and I will chair the one in the afternoon because that's the convention that the chair kind of sits at the front of the room um, with the number 10 spokesman and fields questions from all the journalists. Who does the one in the morning? Just him on his own, the oh. spokesman. I, I, yeah, it's yeah. quite an odd convention. Um, it means that you share it basically, that it's kind of even. So the journalists are in control in the afternoon and he does it on his own in the morning. So we'll get on to the question that everybody wants to know which is do you need a qualification to be an MP because you know to be a teacher you need a qualification but literally anybody can be an MP right uh yeah you can apply to you know you can go for being an MP do you you have to pass a sanity test (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid there is no sanity test as far as I know but if you want to be an MP for Labour Conservatives Liberal Democrats you will jump through a series of hoops to be on the approved list of MPs. So there might not be a sanity test, but they might set their own sanity test. If you want to be an independent MP and just run on your own party, I think you have to come up with a name that's under six word long for your party and come up with 500 quid and you get on the list. You know, if it had been a bit harder, UKIP would never have happened. (laughs) So they should all really take a long, hard look at themselves. So it's just 500 quid? Yeah. But it, that's to kind of... That, that's quite a high bar, and really. And does that money go... Well, yeah, I suppose it is. Because you, lo- you, yeah, you lose it if you don't get 5% of the vote. But now with crowdfunding, I mean, any old crazy <laughs> can go, Can let's crowdsource 500 quid so I can become an MP. But it's still got to win the election, Daniel. You know that. Thing, <laughs> it's not just a fee to become an MP. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess, I guess it's a little bit harder. But... You've got to have a good name, which is under six words long. Yeah, well, that's that, true. I mean, so that's does the, the length bit. of those words matter? I don't think so, oh. actually. Okay. You could have the supercalifragilistic. Yeah, and I've still got. And you still got three five words left. <laughs> so, if Theresa May wanted to ban gelatin or anything, how quickly could she do it? Well, laws on average take about a year to to pass. There are so many different barriers to get through in Parliament. But, I mean, terror legislation has got through within a day or two. So it really depends on how important she would think the gelatin ban is. Okay. <laughs> but in she that, does hate yeah. puddings. <laughs> she really can't stand a moose. But in that instance, she would have to convince more people than herself. So, you know, it, it's about convincing first a cabinet committee. So you've got all the cabinet ministers. They have to say, good point. We should definitely ban gelatin. Then it would go to a first reading in Parliament Um, That would be read out um, just the name of the bill. And then it would go for, well, before that, there's a big consultation, so that takes several weeks. But then after the first reading, you've got the second reading, and that's a big debate in Parliament. Then it goes to the committee stage, 
then it goes to the report stage, and then finally you've got the third reading, and that's when it's passed. But then you've got to go to the Lords as well. Yeah, I, I've wanted to ask about this because I feel like there are a lot of not fun laws that people have to sit and debate. And I remember back when I was at university, there was a drug called methadrone, or colloquially MCAT, which was legal, but very dangerous. And apparently it got like rushed through the law to make it a classified drug, got really rushed through. And I feel like everyone was talking about it, it was really buzzy, but if it hadn't been of interest, it would just have stayed legal for ages mm. are there just people just don't want to debate not not fun laws i think in some cases media interest takes over a bit and that kind of is in the same bracket as terror legislation that they probably saw that as a very urgent thing to do to kind of prevent deaths and they just sped it through parliament and if they can talk behind the scenes to opposition parties who agree mm. then all these hurdles are jumped over quite fast. Slightly on the subject of this, what is filibustering and why, when it happened in Parks and Rec, when Leslie Nope does it, it was a really great thing, and yet Philip Davis seems like a real twonk? <laughs> well, filibustering is not a good thing, but I didn't see that episode, and maybe she did it really well. She, Well, she just does it for the same reason everybody else does it, <laughs> but she's like, yeah, she's a hero, she's done this thing happening. OK. Yeah. Well, I suppose it depends on whether you like the bill that you're filibustering or not. Yeah. So on Fridays, MPs debate private members' bills. When I first started in Parliament, almost a decade ago, for the Press Association, and I sat in in the Commons on a Friday, I was completely baffled by how this works. I was like, laws aren't really made like this, are they? (laughs) But they are. They're completely mad. Um, Private members' bills. The MP that gets to choose a private member's bill wins a ballot to get to choose. Really? Like like a tombola? It's a proper, it's a proper, it is literally like a tombola. <laughs> MPs get numbers. So if you're top of the list, you are most likely to get your bill through that year. And they can choose whatever they want. And they won't have even had a bill in mind before they entered the lottery. No. So then they choose the name. So you just put your number yeah. in a hat. Yeah. And then when it gets pulled out, you go, oh, my God, what bill are you? Yeah, exactly. What would you like to be the law? They do crowdsource then and then they come up with a bill. So then on a Friday, they go into Parliament. They're like, great, I'm going to get this law through. But they have several hours. So say, oh God, I can't remember the exact times, 9.30 to 2.30, they think they've got. Yeah. If the debate is still happening at 2.30 and no vote has happened, that bill is out. There is no more chance of it coming back. No. Uh, yeah, that's it. Whatever. It's, well, it, they do read out a date in future, but... In reality, that just never happens. It never comes Can back. You not put, so you can't put another number in the hat? And <laughs> well, the next again. year. But, but it's but, a yeah, long way. No. You have to really and want that bill. And you're one of 650 MPs. So. And, so, and so what Philip Davis does is he keeps the debate going. Exactly. And him and Christopher Chope and David Nuttall, these Tory MPs, the backbench, what they do is use um, the conventions of Parliament to... Yeah, to the rules of Parliament to kind of talk it out. Um, so you destroy women's lives. <laughs> So (laughs) they're still talking at half past two. That's it. But there is a loophole that if you get 100 MPs together on a Friday, which is difficult because most are in the constituency, you can actually have a vote, a closure motion, to close the whole debate down and actually um, just shut down his filibustering. And is he allowed to say 
anything he likes? Can he just read out? The... No. No. He has to stay on topic, but they are quite clever with it. Right. So they talk around the subject and maybe yeah. talk a bit of history around the subject. And you often get this. It's like an evil just a minute. Yeah, it's yeah. like the worst <laughs> ever just a minute. Just a, minute. <laughs> a very long and tedious just a minute. <laughs> so, say in theory, I have a bill that I want to put forward, mm. probably about women's rights, and I know Philip Davis is going to be in. Do I have to try and get 100... MPs together yeah. to try and shut him down. Yeah, if and you if you're really serious about it, then yes, I mean, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen for everyone because a lot of the bills aren't as important as others. But if somebody's very serious about it, they do get 100 MPs in the chamber. Also, it helps to have other parties on board. SNP often will secure the support of Labour to make sure you've got that those numbers there. Yeah, but it, it, it's a big undertaking to ask all those MPs to come in on a Friday and do it. And what do the 100 MPs do? They, you just like, you've got to shut up now. Like 99 <laughs> other people want you to stop talking. Well, the Speaker will decide, OK, you've gone too far. And they will see that somebody has required a closure motion. And it's up to the Speaker to say, fair enough, we've had four or five hours of debate here. I rule the closure motion and then closure motion is passed and then it goes to a vote. But filibustering is the opposite of debate, so that's why I don't understand how it could. Well, he, I mean, Philip Davis would not agree with you there because he would say, I'm just taking part in a debate. But why? debate has two people, more than one person <laughs> talking. I mean, if it's just one person talking, that's not a debate. And he would also welcome interventions because it keeps him going even longer. <laughs> and then his mates and the back benches are like, Will the honourable gentleman give way? And he's like, Gladly. And then he's like, Well, have you thought about this? And he's like, Yes, I, well, that's a very good point. I'm going to talk about that for another half hour. Oh, there so should be some sort of out. rule about. A snooker balls in a sock or something and if filibustering becomes a real weapon mm. is there going to be a movement to get rid of it as a, as a tool there are moves by the procedure committee to look at fridays and how private members bills work because it is so archaic the way fridays work at the moment it's such a strange way of making laws and filibustering is just one one part of how strange they are yeah but you know maybe they could happen earlier in the week when there's more MPs around but it's yeah well, it's no very one odd. likes working Friday I mean <laughs> you can't blame the poor MPs so if I can ask how do stupid MPs get elected and don't pretend you don't know who we're talking about <laughs> well you've got this thing first past the post where some MPs will just get elected because of which party they're in and, and so they get parachuted into a yeah, seat yeah say so I live I'm not saying my MP's stupid but I live in North East Hampshire and that will always be a Conservative MP. Like, we've got no choice. So uh, the first-past-the-post system means that certain MPs, certain parties will always win. And unfortunately, if you've got a stupid candidate, that's what's going to happen. But, you know, you say that and then look at the last election and there were a couple of seats that really swung the opposite way. I mean, I know first-past-the-post is terrible, but, I mean, it is delightful when you see someone who thinks that they're in a safe seat lose their seat. Yeah, it's true. So, people take it for granted. I think that's the only fun of first-past-the-post, <laughs> is that you get people going, oh, I'm, I'm definitely I'm getting fine. in. Yeah, and then you see their face fall, and it is really beautiful. That's a bit mean. <laughs> well, but I don't think it is that mean. <laughs> might be also, mean. Danielle, I think you're <laughs> underestimating that stupid MPs are representing their many stupid voting constituencies. There's a lot lot of stupid people in Britain and they need a voice. The main thing I want to know is just, yes, it's got all these strange archaic things that are inevitable when it's evolved over 400 years and yes, it's going to be flawed. To what extent does it basically work? Is Is the system more or less okay or is it in trouble? 
Well, that's a big question. I, I mean, you're talking about elections, really, and whether Parliament represents what people want, <laughs> um, which goes to the voting system and everything else. I think in terms of the way laws get passed, it does what it's supposed to do. Mm. The opposition can completely shut down a motion or a, a bill they don't like if they have the numbers. And with Theresa May in a minority government, then they are able to do that at the moment. Mm. So. Do you have a question? I do have a question. Okay. So I've been to, I think I went once on a school trip and then I went once recently after, shortly after the general election and the vibe was very much like a school, mm. like a sixth form canteen. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like very bitchy, like had their little cliques everywhere. And because it's like a recess at the moment, I was wondering about the breaks and whether the whole vibe of parliament changes, like when you know that a recess is coming up, are people more lax about things? Like you can like just sit in your office and watch telly. Like, is it more relaxed than <laughs> like... Is it that kind of vibe where people look forward to the holidays and stuff kind of slows down? It is a bit just like a massive public school, basically. Yeah. I'm sure for a lot of people like Cameron and Clegg, you know, they arrived and they're like, sweet, this isn't that different to school on uni. <laughs> All my old friends. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think a lot of them wrote in their yearbooks like, see you in Westminster. <laughs> there you are. Yeah, it's actually quite scary. Um, but yeah, when, when recess comes up, and it is fairly often... But they would say, MPs say, you know, we do do work at recess. It's not all fun and games. It definitely is. Everybody's clinging to, thank God it's recess next week. And on the last day of term, they have this weird long debate of you can basically raise any question. The MPs raise any question. I don't know who, I think it's the Commons leader or the Deputy Commons leader answers it. And it's like a whole afternoon of... Literally any topic they want. It's quite fun. Yeah, it can be anything. Watching Monty Python. (laughs) (laughs) And um, also, the government often use the last day of term to just kind of dump a load of statements and documents and figures. Is it actually called the last day of term? Yeah, (laughs) I think so. Yeah, it is the last day of term. Yeah, that's incredible. I'd love it if they just had debates out on the grass, just say like, (laughs) (laughs) spoil yourselves. Can MPs take holidays whenever they want, or does it have to be in the summer holidays like a teacher i think they're encouraged to take holidays i think they're encouraged to take holidays in recess um especially given the numbers in parliament at the moment and the 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 need to be there for votes because you know when you when you see like a, a vote on the bbc parliament channel and there's all these empty green benches why is that allowed to happen? Why are they not forced? Part of the job description should be going to these things, right? Is that not... But then I suppose an MP's job isn't just to sit and listen to a debate or take part in a debate. I mean, they, they have an awful lot of constituency work to do. They've, they're have they meeting people who come into Parliament. Portcullis House is always absolutely rammed with MPs having coffees, and, uh, which sounds very nice, but I'm sure they're actually meeting people that are important to their work as well. And, yeah, I mean, I, I would argue that you don't always have to be in the Commons Chamber to to be working. It is a massive talking shop most of the time. And maybe the only people you need to vote on the gelatin bill are the people who, yeah. who know about gelatin. Yeah, who care about gelatin. That's a very good point. Can we get on to the House of Lords? Yeah. That seems a bit ropey, yeah. <laughs> doesn't it? I mean, at the moment quite a lot of flagship pricks off the telly in there so a bill has gone through the commons and it mm. gets the house of lords is it really the case that andrew lloyd webber and alan sugar can go nope that's not happening <laughs> so the house of lords can say a bill has got through third reading in the commons it then transfers over to the lords the whole process starts again in practice they can't really shut it down the whole bill but they can add amendments to it 
and they will debate what changes need to be made to that legislation and that's in practice what the Lords does to legislation. So it will come back to the Commons with some changes. Sometimes they call it ping-pong, the Commons don't agree with that, then it ping-pongs back to the Lords and then it ping-pongs back again. But there are almost, well, around 800 peers, so Andrew Lloyd Webber isn't the only one who's going to change it. How do you become a Lord or Baroness? There are several ways. I mean, there are a lot of political appointees. So there are, say, resignation honours. So when a Prime Minister resigns, David Cameron, you know, resigns after the referendum, thank you very much, and then he says, by the way, I'm going to put in a load of uh, people that I know to be Lords. Bye, OK, see you. So that happens. And dissolution honours, when Parliament is dissolved before an election, lots of peers are appointed then. And then there's a House of Lords Appointments Commission, which appoints non-political peers, so people with expertise in certain in certain fields. And is there a cap on the limit? Is there a dead man's shoes thing, or can it just keep growing and growing? I, well, there wasn't, but I think Theresa May recently said in the last couple of months, actually, she recognises that it is getting too big. Because if there's over 800, that's more unelected peers than there are elected members of parliament. Mm. That seems a little bit crazy. Mm. There are absolutely loads of them. I mean, including 25 bishops and, you know... and I sort and, of understand the bishops being there. And hereditary peers as well. But also, the House of Lords sometimes, they do great things and they sort of stop a really awful bill going forward. So is it, I is think, it considered a good safety yeah, measure? Yeah, I think it's more the threat of it than what they actually do. So if Theresa May thinks... Because the makeup of the House of Lords is... There are an awful lot of crossbenchers, so not just angry peers, <laughs> but crossbenchers, they, they, they don't have this party affiliation, but there's more than 100 of them, and they have a lot of weight in a, in a... When she has a minority government in the Commons and a bill goes over to the Lords, and she doesn't... Uh, she does have a majority there. The Conservatives are the biggest party in the Lords, but crossbenchers plus Labour, there's absolutely loads of them. So if she sees that they are going to do something drastic to her bill, then they might try and change it before it goes over to avoid a big Barney. So, the, for example, there's the hereditary peerages yeah. and then there's the ones that will just die off with Alan. Like, Alan Sugar's kids won't become lords, will they? No, he is not a hereditary peer. No. So is that where they start scaling it? You can't, can you take someone's peerage away from them? You can, I'm sure, for like various convictions and things, but I don't know the exact rules on that. Yeah, I don't but think the... Aitken's a lord anymore, is he? Oh, is it Aitken? No. I think he got his yeah. taken yeah, away. I think, I think if, if you go to prison, prison, then yeah, yeah, they, they want their they want their ermine back. Yeah. <laughs> you're not allowed to wear your ermine <laughs> in prison. That's the yeah. law. Is no re- coronets in the showers. Is it real ermine? Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's right. Don't know if Because that was one of the things I wanted to know: is why is there so much old-fashioned faff around the Houses of Parliament, like the mace, the maces, and also my favourite thing, which is the black rod. I know it's that, great. I mean, it's you so think they'd have though. changed the name by I now? I love all that though. I really love that. It's so British, isn't it? It's it ridiculous. Is. The mace is great. When I was working the press association years ago, I basically worked in the press gallery for three years covering all debates. You you take it in a rotor turn, so you do like a half hour shift. Sometimes you're working at eleven pm doing the back end of some bill, and you're bored out of your mind. I was, do, I was covering a debate on Heathrow and possible expansion. This was going about like years and years, so it just shows you how long this debate's been going on. And John McDonnell was on the back benches. When the Labour when Labour were in government, and was so angry at Jeff Hoon, who was then Transport Secretary, 
talking about a possible third runway, I think. And because McDonald's constituency is the Heathrow area. Anyway, McDonald got so angry, and I was the only one in the gallery. This is very exciting. Um, <laughs> he got so angry that he walked, marched down the stairs and lifted the mace up and wheeled it around his head. What? Wow. It was so exciting. And what, what so what does that mean symbolic? Because yeah. Heseltine did that, didn't he, yeah. years ago? What, what's, well, what's the symbolism of that? I don't really know what the symbolism <laughs> is. <laughs> really, really angry. It's just a big stick. It's just an angry man with a stick. I don't know. I should, I should probably know the exact symbolism, but it didn't go down well. No. And then the speaker named him. That's what the next step is. I name you, I name you. And it means you basically are suspended immediately. Right. You have to leave. I've never seen it before. And what's the thing about the hat? You have to wear a hat. There's only one hat, and you mm. have to wear a hat to ask a question or to. There's a thing about being that's, covered. That's Hogwarts, and that's when you, oh, that's yeah. when you arrive. Yeah. You have to that one. Um. No, isn't there something about you have to be covered, and there's one top hat that somebody keeps so that you can. Oh, no, sorry. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, if you don't know, then no, it no, you. Doesn't you happen I don't. I just dreamt yeah. it. <laughs> I don't know about a hat. I think I. I feel like I do know. Really I know. feel like I should know. I feel like there's something. It might be to do with expelling. What's the IC Strangers? Is it to do with that? Expelling. Uh, so maybe just on the state opening of Parliament, there's a weird tradition. I don't know. Oh, sorry. I don't know. That's <laughs> all right. The top hat thing was abolished in 1998. <laughs> I didn't even and what know. what was it? It was, oh, can you speak into the room? It's all right. Well, tell me oh. in the pub afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know what I'm If you wanted to speak during a division you needed to be wearing a top hat. Oh. So they had two in Parliament, one at each end. Oh. If you were talking before the hat got to you, uh, to save time, people would cover their head with paper. <laughs> wow. I'm just glad I wasn't dreaming. Because it seemed like a very specific... There's some... There's some anecdote, I won't bore you with it. There's some sort of a political anecdote that involves it, and but I didn't I didn't know what it was, what it was for. I've learned something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's nice that they got rid of it, but... I like. I'm with you. I like these little, the like little harmless it. things. Yeah, I think. Yeah, there's no point. Yeah, if yeah. we were harmless. building a new place, if <laughs> Parliament got burnt down, then yes, let's build a, a glass and steel one. But given that we've got this daft Gothic wedding cake, then we may as well have the mace in it as well. Harmless yeah. until you're allergic to hats, and then you <laughs> of can never I didn't think speak of that. <laughs> during the division. <laughs> So I can't watch PMQs because it makes it, yeah. it brings up something. I, I think it's having done jonglers that jeering mm. noise and the sort of <laughs> when someone does a joke mm. makes me want to run away. I, know. I was going to say something much worse. Then what's the atmosphere like during PMQs? Well, it's interesting because I sit in a press gallery for PMQs, and the press gallery is obviously above the speaker's chair but the public gallery is the other end, behind a glass screen. And it's so different, the atmosphere, to being in there and hearing the noise than being behind that screen or watching on telly. Yeah. It's so noisy. It's ridiculous. And the speaker up, bobs up a lot and says, the public don't like it, order, order. Um, and I did a Freedom of Information request recently, like, what correspondence does he get about PMQs? People really don't like it. No. People are really, really, just really turned off by it. And so you'd think that just for cynical party reasons, you know, a Mandelson figure 20 years ago would have said, guys, we're not doing the blah, blah thing anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> people hate the blah. <laughs> no blah in Parliament. <laughs> Are you only allowed to make these feral noises? You're not allowed to like go twat. Like you would definitely allowed, get called out for you're that. You're not allowed to clap. 
Can't you? No, and some people do. And you'll notice that the speaker said something the other day telling off Boris Johnson for being sexist or something. Oh, and I'm sure that'll have been like a knife through his heart. Oh, no. <laughs> Sleepless nights. <laughs> and uh, Labour clapped him and he didn't tell them off for clapping. Yeah. He were, like, he's pretty him. cool though, isn't he, the speaker? <laughs> Is he not pretty cool? I don't know. I thought he was a bit of a... I'd heard that... Is it true, for instance, that he was only, he's only speaker because it was the Tories' turn and so Labour... Basically, as a prank on the Tories, pick the Tory that the Tories all hate. Uh, well, the, t- the Tories definitely all hate him. <laughs> That's kind of why I like him. Yeah. I like him like I like his whole big uh, yeah Donald Trump. If he comes over here, we're going to be really annoyed. Just like he did his whole Billy Big Bollocks right. about how it, like, you know, we're not even going to let him. We're not even going to see him in Parliament. I mean, you can have a look round, but but people didn't like that because it was too political. You see, they want him to be totally neutral, and they don't see him as that. Yeah, he's quite a character myself Ooh. yeah that's why I don't like <laughs> him <laughs> I like Thank Betty Boothroy let's get her back oh yeah no, she's she's good. Good. <laughs> you always, it's like it's like your favourite doctor yes favourite <laughs> <laughs> speaker's the one that was there when you were a kid but PMQs I think has got progressively worse because of who we've got as leaders I'm not I'm trying not to be too political at the moment but they are both not brilliant on their feet yeah. Um, and the problem is that they will occasionally land a joke, but you can see it coming 10 miles away. Oh. And when it comes, you're like, God, thank God for that. Why do MPs try to do jokes? Yeah. And why, no, actually, more interestingly, why can none of them do it? Because there are many intelligent people there. And, you know, doctors can make jokes, lawyers can make jokes, not all of them, but there are, you know, there doesn't seem to be any funny MPs. I remember when Vince Cable did some sort of creaky old thing about about Brown being like Mr Bean and he was oh, acclaimed God. as a parliamentary wit and you think that's that's nothing and he mentioned it all the time yes. so, <laughs> do you remember when I yeah, yeah, we why, remember yeah why aren't they funny given uh, that they try to be yeah Ken Clark's pretty good yes that's true because yeah. he's a natural and he's been there so long yeah but yeah do you know what I genuinely think it is is when you're doing a joke you have to not care how it lands for it to work. You mm. have to be so comfortable with what you're doing that if it doesn't get a laugh, you can wash it yeah. off. Whereas if you're Theresa May, oh, my, my joke's coming up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hope it works. Is but, that... but when you, like, the other situation where that happens is at weddings where people who don't want to make jokes have to, but some of them can do it. You yeah, know, I'm just surprised. Happy at a wedding. Slightly Everyone's pleased to be there. Well, that's true. It's a <laughs> 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 home crowd. Because yeah. I remember, like, listening to David Cameron and he would love to pack all the jokes in and I remember mm. thinking oh well, don't bother and now and now obviously it's even worse <laughs> I just yeah yeah, but as you say they're both bad at, and it's, it's oh, when yeah. they you see them trying to manoeuvre a word into into the debate so that they can use the joke that they're yeah. you know there's bad rope for them four days ago yeah <laughs> I know um, my heart always sinks especially in PMQs when they talk about the NHS actually because I feel like the NHS is like almost above party politics because it's such um, a big issue that should be talked about over a number of years beyond a parliamentary term of five years. It's always past the hot potato, you know, when you were in government, Labour in Wales are doing this, but you're doing this, and, oh, it's like, let's reach a conclusion or maybe work together to solve something. Mm. I think it always makes my heart sink when they debate the NHS. Yes, it is always. I mean, that one, and the, but so many tropes just come around, you know, that I won't take lectures from yeah, all of that sort so of... so tedious. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, that's not really a question, just a moan. Sorry. Oh, I'm, me too. I'm just really on my high horse now. The hostage MP. Now, if the Queen died of natural causes, how long would it take before they executed them? 
the, the hostage MP. Is that what happens? So you know how that. So when the <laughs> you may need to back up on explain yeah, something. <laughs> so when the Queen goes to the opening of Parliament, yeah. they send a hostage MP to sort of swap places with her. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. So if they bump off the Queen... So if they bump off the Queen, does the hostage MP get executed? But or, you said she died of natural causes. Yeah, it's, if the Queen just dies of natural causes, very, very sad. I mean, obviously we all hope it never, ever happens. <laughs> I don't see that it will. <laughs> just in case one day the Queen died and it happened to be at the state opening of Parliament, what happens to the hostage MP? It's a good point. No I mean, <laughs> you're asking me, but I mean, it's a hypothetical I haven't thought of. I think you'd be alright. I think you'd be returned. Because uh, I don't know if you've seen the TV series Designated Survivor. I haven't seen which it. Which is I've incredible. Heard, I know but what happens is um, they keep a member of Congress back uh, in case the house gets blown. And oh, it does. So there's a big terrorist incident. He becomes Prime Minister. Uh, Prime Minister. He's, he's the only one left. Because he's right. the only one left. But uh, I wondered if it was a similar sort of situation That's with the hostage point. MP. That's a good point. How, how, is, how, how do you choose the hostage MP? I think it, it's always from the government party. Yeah. And it's up to the whips and the prime minister to choose. Lucky them to get mm. to spend an afternoon in the palace. Do they get to use the toilet and play with the corgis? Maybe. <laughs> or do they literally get held in like a box, <laughs> a sealed thing with like stocks or something? Yeah, handcuffs yeah. to the handcuffs in the tower. I mean, there's no point calling them a hostage MP if you're not going to have a bit of fun. Can you tell us about the code when it says a source close to or a source familiar with? You know, is there a code to that? Should we be able to go, oh, that's, that means it was them or mm. that means it was their advisor? I think different publications use different terminology, to be honest. But um, So I wouldn't read too much into a source oh. close to us. Yeah. But generally, you know, a source is an aide, you know, somebody who worked with a politician who will know um, right. about it. You've got the government press offices down Whitehall, who will talk to you about the departmental business. And that's like number 10 for Theresa May. But you've also got the political advisors who will talk to you about the politics of it. So sometimes at a number 10 briefing, the spokesman will tell you about number 10's line on it, which is all on the record. But you'll say, well, Jeremy Corbyn's just said this. What do you think of that? He won't touch that. He'll say, you need to go to my political colleagues. So then you have to talk to her special advisors who might, give you a source quote and probably will because be. that guy's a civil servant or not that that guy's yeah, a civil yeah. servant and he yeah. can't yeah. yeah he the civil service just won't go there mm. but they are very keen to <laughs> but, um, <laughs> they're not allowed so right. as yeah. journalists do you all sit around and just go what what is what is <laughs> boris johnson is he made out of magic i don't understand he does seem to have made a few blunders <laughs> yeah, since he's, beca- since he's become foreign secretary <laughs> But still remained unscathed. Is there a, a big dark secret? We could, don't have to put this bit out. It's a big dark secret going on. <laughs> Does he know the real Black Rod? <laughs> I think Theresa May saw him as somebody to have on side for a start. She doesn't want him on the back benches yeah. mounting a coup. I suppose there is some truth in that the Mayor of London did prepare him for the role of Foreign Secretary in that he goes out and he's supposed to big up Britain and he is quite good at that kind of global Britain oh isn't it brilliant and charming people but when he's not absolutely <laughs> forgetting his briefs and... Do you think he's a bit like James Corden in that everybody in the UK is like what the fuck but the rest of the world is like hey this guy's Maybe, great. Well I think people do like him but I think Brexit has complicated things. I think 
uh, European leaders find it difficult to deal with really? on Brexit. Um, this whole Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe thing and the, the British yeah. Iranian woman who's been locked up in Tehran, you know, he made a big error there and she's still locked up. I mean, that's that is a difficult thing yeah. to see how you get over. Is there a part of the system, maybe a sort of a smaller part that we don't know about that you can think of that just works really well, that where small things get done efficiently or checks and balances work or something like that? Mm. Cheer oh. us up, basically, oh, is what I'm asking you. <laughs> I think MPs' um, individual work is kind of underestimated a bit. They they are working very hard locally, uh-huh. and you don't really see that in the pomp and circumstance of PMQs and Parliament. Um, MPs aren't really helping local people, and that's what they're there to do, and I think we forget that a lot. And select committees, I think, have got more and more important now that the chairs are elected. Uh-huh. All the MPs elect the select committee chairs, And it means that they are more powerful than they ever were. And often the select committees are are more of a a spectacle than the Commons Chamber, I think. And they can get some brilliant, important people in front of them and get some real answers out of them. Who does select the select committees? (laughs) So the the chair's elected by... By all the MPs. By by all the MPs. Mm -hmm. And then... Well, then the select committees make up, should represent Parliament... You know, so you should have roughly the same Labour and Conservative, same number of Labour and Conservative MPs, and um, a bit of Caroline Lucas's <laughs> hair. Exactly, <laughs> exactly the odd lived hair here and there. So, once that makeup has been decided, the parties are told you've got three on that on the Defence Select Committee. You decide amongst yourselves who oh. you're going to have. So it should be a representation of Parliament within a little committee, and that um, seems more a more workable system. Yes, yeah. It's a lot easier. I think if you wanted to... So I'm a Labour voter, always have been. But I think if you wanted to try and get anything moving, it's almost easier to be in the Conservative Party at the moment because if you do anything outside of Jeremy Corbyn, you're you know, up for deselection and momentum are coming after you. And you can't really have any sort of independent thought, whereas there's lots of really good Conservatives who are much more centre mm. than, than you would give them credit for looking at the party as a whole. Mm. And that's why you see people like Yvette Cooper, who used to be a cabinet minister and should probably still be on the Labour front bench, but she didn't. She chose not to serve under Jeremy Corbyn, choosing to be a chair of committee instead. Because she just thinks, well, I'm going nowhere in the party itself. So she's now chair of the Home Affairs Committee and really pushing that agenda and doing really well with it. I wanted to ask about being what you consider a good MP. How much of it is knowing how to work the system? Because there seems like there's a lot of system uh, in terms of getting so in terms of like what we talked about in terms of filibustering or knowing about process right. like right. can you be bad at parliamentary process bad at being at parliament not knowing what to do other people who just have mean. good intentions but get lost in yeah I mean, bureaucracy. yeah totally i mean the parliament could be absolutely baffling um to new mps as well i noticed that um lisa nandy the a labor mp who's very impressive backbencher at the moment she called a point of order recently because she said, Mr Speaker, I wanted to raise this. I think it was about historic child sex abuse inquiry. It was very important. But she didn't know which department was in charge of it, whether it was health or the Home Office. They were they were giving her duff answers, weren't being clear with her. And she was like, Well I don't where do I get answers from? And he was furious about it. You would have been you would have been yeah. impressed with him. <laughs> and he said, Well, you know, I can't do anything about it as speaker, but I would say to the Honourable Lady, you need to use every single tool in Parliament to really hold them to account. 
And then I could see her having a word with him afterwards. And the next day, she got a question in PMQs to the PM about it. <laughs> and the PM put her straight because she'd asked number 10 in advance. And the PM was like, it's this department and this shouldn't happen again. Like, it's just... It's How does he clever. normally pick who speaks at PMQs? Well, there is a list of... You get an order paper every day of what's going to happen in Parliament. Um, and every week, r- randomly, a number of questioners are picked to be on the order paper for questions. But in between, he can choose random. So Jeremy Corbyn gets his six. Mm. And then the SNP Westminster leader gets two, I think. And then it goes... Uh, the question's on the order paper, you know... Conservative MP, then Labour MP, then Tory MP, then Labour MP. So the thing where everyone stands up and then he picks someone, that's just... Well, no, because they are chosen in between the printed Ah. questioners. Right. So they are all picked, but in between he'll choose some randoms. Right, so we've got time for one more question each. Going back to the Lords... Is there a like? Do you have to have quorum of them? Is there a certain number that has to be there, or do they have to show face occasionally in order to keep their lord status? Yeah, I don't think you have to show up, basically. <laughs> but if you do, if you get your three hundred pound a day expenses, mm. which is quite nice. Yeah. Um, but no, there doesn't have to be a set number a day. But it is often full of people, which you can imagine why. <laughs> but um, there have been some kind of lord reforms proposed, and I think that might be part of it that you need to show up more regularly is having to be there in physically in order to vote how is that not unfair on people from distant constituencies yeah absolutely and there are SNP MPs like Angus McNeil who represents the Western Isles he has to get a flight every week literally his little plane lands on his beat the beach in his island <laughs> every single week I mean it's absolutely mad the miles that they have to travel but Recently, and I don't know if you know, but MPs aren't entitled to formal maternity leave. So I just sat into in a debate on that. And Harriet Harman has put forward a motion on proxy voting for the first time. This is the mm. first time it's happened. So that MPs on maternity leave at home can nominate somebody to go and vote for them. Mm. But there's a lot of MPs that don't really like that idea. Because it opened it up to, what if you're a bit ill at home? Or what if you're on a trip somewhere? Bit of a difference. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that. It's a bit, we don't really want women in Parliament, do we? I mean, there is a kind of informal system that you, if you're off on maternity leave, you're paired with an MP from an opposition party and they don't vote either. They don't vote either, do they? Yeah. (laughs) But that means that your constituents don't know that you've got that arrangement. And so they don't, they just think that you haven't showed up. Yeah. But if it was in Hansard, ex voted by proxy because she's on maternity leave, that's just. That makes sense to me. And also, yeah. that's also knocking out not only your constituents from having any sort of say, and the other side as well. <laughs> so that's two sets of it's constituents mad, yeah. who've, you know, are taxpayers. Yes. That's ridiculous. I know. I hope it works out. Mm. Um, so here's my final question. I've got £10 in my pocket. How hammered can I get in the subsidised bar <laughs> at Parliament? <laughs> um, I think it's got a bit more pricey over the years, but it is still pretty cheap. I think of it like a Weatherspoons. Is it like a so it's not, so it's yeah. not student bar no, level? No, I think it's like a Weatherspoons or Whitehall level. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, and, but That's there is good, a Weatherspoons on Whitehall, yeah, though, exactly. so you <laughs> just, just check. Yeah, you may as well just go there. 
Oh, well, thank you very much. Um, John, do you have anything to plug? I do. I'm going on tour. My tour is called uh, John Finnamore's Flying Visit, and it's going around the country in May and June. And if you go to johnfinnamore.com, all the ticket links are there. Fantastic. Do you have anything to plug, Sophie? Yes, I have a show called Wacky Racists, which is a pun. It's not just a night for quirky racists. It's a comedy <laughs> show uh, where we crush bigotry. <laughs> I'm upset by that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's a comedy show where we crush bigotry with funnies, and it is every second Sunday of the month. You can find it on Twitter by following me. Thanks to my guests, Emily Ashton, Sophie Duca and John Finnamore. Any Stupid Questions was written and presented by me, Danielle Ward, and produced by Ed Morrish for the internet. Follow us on Twitter at AnyStupidQs for notices of new episodes or recordings and extra bits that we've cut out. If you liked it, please tell your friends by way of rating, reviewing and or subscribing, which helps other people find out about the show. Or you can tweet about it like Matt Osman from Suede did. 